Variety Punts and Popcorn podcast coming at you here for another week. Uh, well, uh, after a week off, which I'll explain further in a moment. But first of all, the usual spoiler warning that if you haven't seen this week's film, Uncut Gems, uh, do go and watch that uh, beforehand. before you listen to this podcast if you don't want it spoiled. Because spoilers aren't fun. But otherwise, do come back and listen to us now. Listen to us now if you haven't seen the film. Uh, I did mention that we have had a week off. That was due to, um, if you've seen our Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, you will notice that we it was due to the tragic and senseless murder of George Floyd. And we decided to take a week off from all the usual content to let the moment be truly about the Black Lives Matter movement, a long overdue movement for justice and reform of not just the police, uh, which it was all, uh, you know, this is about changing the systems and culture and society to be better about treating all of us equally. And so we wanted to live in that moment and let it be what it was because it is long overdue and, dra- and of, uh, of absolute utmost importance to progressing as a human race. So that is why we decided to hold off and record. Uh, we did talk, you will notice that after trailer plays and all that we do open up our chat with a bit of chat about what was happening but it was very much reaction to just what had happened in the last few days our thoughts were as best as they could be at the time um, but obviously we're still grappling grappling with this as everyone else is so i will just read the statement um that we put out on instagram because it was a little bit more coherent than me babbling for a couple of minutes here <laughs> um, but i do want to make it clear how how we stand and we are very much allied with the movement and want to be the best uh we can be at being anti-racist and allies for the movement. So let me just read the statement and then we'll get to uh, the podcast. So uh, I'll just have a sip of my beer to prepare myself. All right. A usual posting and schedule has been on pause as we share in a collective grief and outrage at yet another senseless murder of a black man in police custody. We stand in solidarity with the oppressed, open arms ready to listen and learn and do whatever it takes to dismantle the systems of racism and, pr- and oppression which have plagued us for all of our history. We stand ready as allies to the cause of ushering in a new age of equality and freedom for all. America has never been great, but it can be. Just as Australia has never been great, but it can be. The world has never been great, but it can be. This can only happen if we acknowledge our abhorrent history of racism, genocide, murder, and the plunder of the flesh from the backs of the oppressed in building the modern world. George Floyd was murdered by the police, just as many have been before him. We stand together calling for justice for George and justice for all the lives lost to the fascist arm of a government still profiting from the oppression and subjugation of the black community as well as other minorities. We must actively call for the dismantling of the police as well as the complete reform of education so as to educate all of us to our real histories. Only then can we start reforming cultural and societal norms to expunge the racist and bigoted ideas that have plagued every generation before us and are passed down like a hereditary disease of the soul. The link in our bio will take you to the Black Lives Matter donation page. Donate if you can, but speak up no matter what. Your voice costs nothing but it can change everything. Love to all, Dave and Shay. So that's it. That's um, That was our statement on our Instagram. Uh, I don't think I need to go into any more detail about where we stand on that, um, but obviously we want to hear from any, anyone that's 
uh, with our thoughts are with everyone and uh, we just hope that this is a moment that we can look back on in our history as a real mo- catalyst for change. It We never want a catalyst for change to be off the, the death of someone, but the only way we can move forward is make sure it doesn't these things don't happen in the future. So let's get to the podcast. All right, I'm going to take podcast time for the over. I'm going to take the uh, listeners for the under and Shay for piss breaks and beers. Wait, well, what, what do you know? I, I don't know. I just know. Well, i tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I've ever heard. I disagree. I disagree, Shay. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? How's it going? Let's pay soccer. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. Are you serious? You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Where's the money right now? Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family! I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never research anything. Than I don't know who said that. I told you about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? That's my oh, family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yeah. This is me. This is how I win. KJ, game night. You should be stretching out. What is he, a coach? Nah, he's just a fucking crazy-ass Jew. Alrighty, Pints and Popcorn Podcast back at you with another week. Uh, Usual co-host alongside me on the FaceTime. I always say alongside me, even though he's on the FaceTime. But Shay, what's up? Not much. We flipped... uh... Flip rolls here. You're doing it late at night. I'm doing it in the morning. Yeah, so, I was gonna uh, say I'm like in my in my comfies. It's cold. It's the first just just rolled into the second day of winter here in Australia, and just like, <clears throat> yeah, raining and just horrible horrible times as far as the weather goes. Um, unfortunately, not the Opposite only here. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, not the only horrible times. We're not gonna dwell on this on being the subject of the pod is a movie. We're doing uncut gems from last year, which is. Uh, been long on my list to watch. Uh, I think Shay kept on pushing me, and we finally decided to do the podcast on it, which pushed me to watch it, which I was very glad I did because it's um, a great, great film to talk about as far as just um, unique. But um, yeah, we'd just we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, um, obviously, our, 
complete heartbreak, I guess, at the events that have been taking place the last week. Obviously, coronavirus aside, is the the ongoing heartbreak over that, but um, a different pandemic of um, the unfortunate systemic racism that is a part of our history uh, blowing up, um, unfortunately, because of yet another um, another un unnecessary death in police custody of a uh, of a black man um you know i won't I, we're not gonna like i said not gonna dwell on it but we obviously completely condemn that and um my just a thousand infinity percent support is behind the the black lives matter movement and and the um and the complete need for um complete and utter reform not only of the police department but of but of society and culture because we we live in a world that is for too long. Um, we talked about it on Wolf Creek a couple of weeks ago that um, our, our countries sometimes don't reckon with the dark histories of their past and let let them bubble under the surface. And this is the kind of reaction you get um, when you don't you don't reckon with the past and you let it bubble under the surface and and unfortunately continue the systems of oppression that um, keep the people down that um, that need that deserve an equal voice because they everyone's human. We're all the same. We're all you know. We're all human, so yeah, it's unfortunate what's going on at the moment, and our thoughts are obviously with those that are fighting the good fight um, to try and make get the voices heard of everyone, um, but particularly in this moment, it's it's Black Lives Matter because, yeah, yeah, I think I saw a tweet um, the other day that kind of encapsulates it, and that's kind of a twenty twenty way to put it, but uh, it's not you know white versus black, it's not Black Lives Matter versus white people it's mm. everyone against corrupt cops every, every everybody it's yeah. it, no matter your color skin it's this needs to change and we're going to address it more probably with the movie we've chosen for next week unfortunately this week we kind of were already locked in on uncut gems when stuff really started to pop off but uh, next week i'm not not to spoil anything that uh we're going to do but i'm sure we'll dive into more of the racial politics of this country that has been going on since people were brought over here from Af- africa um yeah so we'll address that more obviously just know that we're keeping an eye on it and doing everything we can to support the people and their right to protest peacefully yeah yeah because yeah obviously we're a couple of white guys doing a podcast but we um you know we just want to <coughs> I just like my my mission in it is just to understand and and support you know it's like that's a all we can do um and just you know be open open with your hearts and minds to the to the issues that even if it's um outside of your realm of what you know from life um it doesn't mean you know you know part of part of being a human is learning and and understanding everyone's experiences to be a good you know good human functioning part of of a of a, of a good functioning society is to understand everyone and and make everyone um, feel a part of the same society and country and culture that you're a part of. Um, it's not to segregate it, which is unfortunately, um, you know, a deep part of history and is still unfortunately going on um, with the current systems in place. So, yeah, um, all power to the protesters. And hopefully we, um, you know, it's, it's the cynical side of me is always um, worried that we'll just see it, see it die away and um, unfortunately nothing changed. But I, I do really hope every time something like this happens that I cross my fingers that this time will be the time, <coughs> time for proper change. So, yeah, we'll dive this into one feels This one feels different. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we'll get it. And, again, we'll know more. And I think we'll be potting again in, what, six days. So yeah. we'll yeah. know more then, obviously. 
And I think that, I mean, the, the whole goal of this podcast is just to help, help people understand. And when that can go beyond movies, which often it does, or at least that's our goal, then then we're reaching our goal. And so, yeah, this is, I think our it was always our statement goal to go beyond the film mm-hmm. and see what they're really getting at. And sometimes uh, art and life intersect, actually most times, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we... we uh... Just last week, potted about um, "Sorry to Bother You," which is a film that dives into many issues that um, you know, at a, on a satirical level, but you know, obviously, very serious thought that went into writing such a film, and um, uh, seems strangely. It's also interesting that we're doing two Lakeith Stanfield films in a row. <laughs> um, I was blown up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We'll get. We'll look. We'll get into it more, but we just want everyone to know that our. Our thoughts and um, our supporters behind, um, you know, everyone fight um, protesting for the uh, the cause um, that does is in desperate need of desperate need of voice. So yeah, but uncut gems, you finally got me to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I mean, it's only been out for less yeah, than it's six been, months. It's been on Netflix here since like sometime in January. So yeah. So it hasn't been out super long. I saw it the day it was released, which was Christmas twenty nineteen. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's unique. It's definitely a Safdie Brothers movie. Yeah, <laughs> which I don't after know. watching Good Time as well. Yeah, um, yeah, we both watched Good Time this week. I just watched it a few hours ago. Um, and uh, yeah, they're very. They're, they're, they'd be a very good double feature to do if you haven't seen either. If you even if you have seen both, um, to roll them roll them into one night because um, you know, I, Uncut Jams is a bit over two hours, but um, I think Good Time's like eighty five minutes or ninety minutes. It's a real short one, so. If you have yeah. the time for a double feature, it's a good one because it really does encapsulate. I'd love to go back and see some of their earlier films and see kind of where their style began, and because um, they very do, they do very much have it. You know, I hadn't seen any of their stuff until watching Uncut Gems recent um, the other day, and oh, they don't have a huge catalog. Yeah, but there's a very uh, for such a short career so far, um, they've exploded with a very particular style that um, you know the, the, we'll get into it. But um, yeah, it's a uh, I guess one of the reasons that I hadn't watched it up until I was prodded to, I, I really wanted to watch this film for a while. Like I, we had, there was Oscar buzz for a bit because Adam Sandler was doing, you know, I don't think that was, I, I think for Adam Sandler, not for the film itself. Yeah. But. Um, but look, I could, you know, in different years, you could make an argument for it for screenplay or something like that. And, um, I certainly love the score though, you know, I don't know, I don't know how they pick Oscar scores and often they've got to be more <coughs> sometimes traditional, but I, I love synthy scores like this film had, um, which, and they also similar to good time as yeah, well. I'm same, sure they, same, same, blo- same bloke. Yeah. 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 And for some, some reason about it, like it's so much different than a lot of movies and it's like, it's very spacey, even though it's, what's happening on screen is really in your face. It's mm. spacey. It doesn't like line up, which adds to the tension of the film, I yeah. think, which is um, pretty cool. Yeah. And that's, that's actually what I was getting to when I started by saying I've been wanting to watch this for a while. One of the reasons I hadn't is because I, you know, the, the buzz straight away from people who are talking about the film. Yeah. I've mentioned before, I just did part of a bunch of different film groups on Facebook and just chat groups and whatever. And uh, I avoid spoilers as much as I can. And most people are pretty good about making sure that they only leave their spoilers in the comments and you can choose to read them or not. But the, the big comment about this one that you saw without, without spoilers was that this film really is and two hours of just pulsing anxiety. And 
I just kept on. It was kind of like I kept on doing this thing. It was like I just don't know if I can do this tonight. I don't know if I can do two hours of because I I knew it was probably going to have an ending that um you know wasn't going to not that I'm unhappy with how it ended, but uh, I knew it was going to be a film that made me um, anxious for a while and uh, just like an, a train coming in the distance all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, is uh, that's what kept me from watching it because I kept on trying to find the right mood to watch it and finally I just got brought it into it and had a couple of beers and watched it on a Saturday night and um and you know I don't think I was ever going to be ready for it but I was just so glad I finally watched it because it is um but yeah the it, the tone the the pace of the movie is unrelenting it is about two hours and 15 minutes I think it doesn't feel like that it just no. rattles along like a train <laughs> I'm just going to use the train as a movie <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I kind of felt the same way about rewatching it, mm-hmm. uh, even after seeing it. Espe- well, especially after seeing it because it's just so in your face. And then I was like, "Well, I'll watch Good Time, and it'll probably be a little bit like that." But there's no way that it has that same tension. And it's like, "Well, it absolutely does." <laughs> Almost to a more devastating effect in that one because I don't. I do think they overlap a lot, but yeah, it's just. It's a frustrating movie, I guess, as a person, because oh, you're just like, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, quit doing everything you're doing, yeah, I, <laughs> Howard, right now. I yelled at the but. screen at one point because I was having a few beers. So I was kind of like, you know, Leo in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just the movie yeah. pointing at the TV. I was like, don't fucking do it. Just stop right now. Especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just every step is the wrong step. And. Um. Yeah, they just really made a film that makes somebody uncomfortable more so than I think. Like, or I was more anxious than I was for like a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like more than Midsommar, more than um, Hereditary. Just some films we've talked about recently. But uh, yeah, it's just in your face, and I wasn't really mad about the ending either. Um, because it felt right. Um. Well, just seeing all the stuff that he had, like, juggling going on, it's like, this guy wasn't going to come to a good end, no Mm -hmm. matter what. And it's probably for the best that, like, I mean, I think it was clear that he loved his kids, even though he was an absentee father, but uh, it wasn't going to go well for them either with him in their life, I don't think. So, yeah, this is what it is. I don't like how it happened, I guess, and we'll get to that, but... Yeah, yeah, Um, I guess, I mean... To begin with, um, I mean, obviously, like I said, I mentioned earlier, Adam Sandler's performance was garnering a lot of praise. Um, you know, I, I, if he'd been nominated for an Oscar, I wouldn't have been mad. Um, I'm not sure it was, you know, a winnable uh, performance, but I think part of what got so much buzz was because it's, uh, you know, kind of like uh, Punch Truck Love is legitimately great as well, and he's great in that. Because he does so many fucking jack and jills in between it it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like it elevate like and he's legitimately great in this movie he is so fucking great but i think some of that buzz came from him being not jack and jill um which i'm not trying to diss the guy like because I, I love there's a lot of adam sandler you know his classics are um a big staple in my movie watching both my youth and now still like i'll still throw happy gilmore on and uh, but 
and the wedding singer is actually legitimately great. So he's got a great career. Unrated. Yeah, a lot of a great career. He does range in that. Yeah, he does. Um, the somebody kill me please is like legitimately like heartbreaking. <laughs> also, a song I've listened to a lot in my day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean, you can't fault him for making the Jack and Jill's. I'm sh- like I think. Oh, he signed that movie. Netflix deal where he's like, what was it like where he's done the Ridiculous Six and all those movies, which I haven't seen because I just... 190 million? Yeah, like, um, why wouldn't you do that? Because there's a, there's a market for it. So, you know, like, on the business yeah, side. Yeah, he's it's... helping out his friends, too. Yeah. Like, I think, like, that new Spade movie he did, and that, like, that has comedians, like, really praising it. I'm not going to watch it just because... I just haven't been in the mood for those type of comedies, but yeah. I've heard it, I think, The Wrong Missy or whatever. And I just, like... Just the plot synopsis alone, I'm not into it. But uh, you know, like he's he's given movies to Spade, and as much as I hate conservative ass Rob Schneider and um, Kevin James and yeah. stuff, and he's really helped them out, and it makes it like yeah, Punch Drunk Love is amazing, and this film's pretty good. Uh, but this film made fifty three million dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it cost nineteen million to make, so. That's still considered a success, but uh, I think Jack and Bill probably made four times that, <laughs> well, which is chatting, ridiculous. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it real quick while we're chatting, but yeah. Um, I mean, for um, A24, which is the production company that picked this one up, um, who've done uh, a couple of the films that we've done, like Midsummer, and uh, they're, they're real... Uh, they take chances. Know, yeah, they've taken chances on a lot of, um, a lot of people and... Uh, yeah, the box office. Jack and Jill's budget was $79 million. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I hope well, they got uh, Al Pacino, so... Oh, okay, so that was, about <laughs> right. fi- that was about $50 million then? <laughs> yeah. Jack and Jill has... Three- I guess... Jack and Jill has 3% in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and yet, how much did it make, though? It made 149.7, so arguably on a $79 million... Uh, it only budget. made three times what... Uncut gems. It, but yeah, but w- with also four times the budget. So I don't know if I, I'd say a, yeah. <laughs> it still made more money though. You know, it like ultimately made more money for the studio. So yeah, but then I wonder, like, because you know the budget sometimes don't come out. Like Jack and Jill, I remember seeing pumped a lot, and whereas Uncut Gems kind of the way that one flowed into the social conscience was by everyone going, "Hey, have you heard of this Adam Sandler role?" Like it didn't. I don't remember it getting a whole lot of. It wasn't getting pushed as far as like the advertising budget on Uncut Gems, without knowing anything about it. I just assume wasn't huge because it did run kind of this underground gauntlet with everyone talking about, um, you know, Adam Sandler's performance again, legitimately great, um, worthy of the chat because it's, it, he's, he does a great job. And then obviously just seeing the ads and not seeing like Kevin Garnett's in the movie playing himself, but kind of in a movie where, you know you weren't expecting him to have that role. Like he, he's playing a role of like, you know, it's, it's like, he's playing himself. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's he's playing himself kind of getting involved. He's very good. He's getting involved. Yeah. And he, yeah, great performance. Um, Don't lean on the glass KG. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, didn't I? You saw me tell him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, the film really kind of like ran this underground goal of getting getting the buzz that way. And um, so, you know, from a critic, from a critical standpoint, obviously did very well. But I think from a financial standpoint, the uh, A20, I think it's A24's biggest, could be their biggest movie, I think. Um, yeah, I'm looking, I mean, they, yeah, 
I mean, considering it didn't actually get like an overseas release, really. Like, I don't know if it's sh- I don't know if it got a limited re- release on any screens in Australia at all. But I just know it came to Netflix. So I quickly. mean, they did Ex Machina. Yeah. The Lobster. Eh, lobster probably didn't do it. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, ah, oh, the Disaster Artist probably did pretty well. But um, I can't. I I just don't think even the Disaster Artist would have got. Um, Midsummer that's got 40, 46 mil, so that's close, but still not quite there. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. looking through them right now. Ladybird, maybe? Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, they're like kind of like, they're not indie. Uh, yeah. Ladybird made 79, but. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> but, you know, they're kind of like the indie darling band, I would say. I know they're not like indie, but because they're a literal production company but uh they're kind of like the indie darling like when a indie band blows up in your face yeah. and, and they had all these hits before you know their earlier stuff was great like i mean that like the fourth film they or the third film they produced was spring breakers which was like got a lot of praise um yeah, it's funny. I haven't seen that one, but like the more I like, I remember seeing like the, know, the cast man. and the people that were in it. I was like, I, that sounds terrible. And then like it's like seems to be like a cult film almost. <laughs> but yeah, they, just take, has, they, like, they take chances. Yeah. Like I know that I was just looking at a list of films and like the one uh, like because Uncut Gems is kind of their most recent one, really. Um, obviously, with everything going on now, but in Fabric, the yeah. one beforehand, I haven't seen, but I know I've heard a lot of things about that one being a really great film as well. It's about a killer dress yeah. essentially to. Yeah. So they take chances of different ideas, like the lighthouse, um, which I'm sure we'll do at some point because that film is nuts. Is like, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Robert, well, Pat- another great Robert Pattinson role. Which to circle it back to talking safties and uncut gems, you know, Robert Pattinson was fucking awesome in Good Time. So they, it's interesting that these two kind of guerrilla filmmakers from New York are getting such great performances from a really quite diverse cast in their films, including one of them acting as the brother of Robin Pattinson good time but you know I said to you off air yeah. I, I said to you off air I might have said it at the start of this pod the cast of um, Uncut Gems is really great and interestingly from pulled from all sorts of like you know Adina Menzel um, you know yeah. <laughs> Mike Francesa like you know Francesa is just like obviously one of the great you know well known um, you know in the sports sports uh talk radio kind of mount rushmore almost like that's kind of his standing in sports radio um adina menzel is like obviously a darling of broadway and you know and, uh, Fro- anyone that's heard the frozen song knows her very well um the million times yeah. i've heard that song uh <laughs> i've actually never heard it which is weird but uh i live a cloistered life um <clears throat> but uh judd hirsch as well yeah, um, yeah. comes in there as i don't I don't know if he's like Adam Sandler's like I don't it's not his father cuz he calls him my name. I think he, father-in-law, is it? Father-in-law maybe. I don't know, they're all family there somehow like with they're doing that Yeah, pa- maybe like thing, but Yeah, maybe um, uncle, I don't know. Yeah. I say Passover thing. And that's and well I'll get to some critiques later cuz I do have some critiques of the movie of of just like I certainly do as well some certain uh uh, some lines that I heard in the movie being set in 2012 I was like, I don't think that's actually something that was said popularly then, but little things. Also, uh, just like there's the, I just think the whole, and we'll get to critiques later, but I just, this one's fresh on the brain is 
the guy who's gonna quit that got roughed up like like after he worked for him for eight years i can't think of his name right now but it's when the opal comes uh, you you see oh yeah you see yeah I think his you name see was. yeah he said he has a line there it's like okay you guys didn't need to say it that way because he's like because they really wanted to make it about the diamond district because their dad worked in it and it's obviously full of a bunch of characters mm-hmm. like and they used a bunch of really good character actors in this film to really set the tone of it that there's a lot of like I don't know how to describe these people, but <laughs> they're all like living on the edge of their seat. That's for sure. They're all, you know, giving out loans, throwing out money, all that kind of stuff. But um, there's lines like, I've been working eight years for you here in this diamond district. And it's like, all right. <laughs> That's like, it's almost like saying the name and the title or the title of the movie in the movie. It's just like, okay. Didn't yeah, need to do I think I mentioned it on like the a pod previous, the Peter Griffin moment from Family Guy, where like yeah. every time they say the name of the film, he just looks at the screen and goes, ah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, it was like uh, eight yeah. years for you in the Diamond District. It's like, all right, we got it. We know we're in the Diamond District. We've yeah. already been to like three different jewelers. But so yeah. was a bit, and bit, I just bit, don't think bit, that actor was very good. Just a, that's just one of the a bit too much expo- expo- uh, exposition for you. Yeah. yeah, you want it. You want it to be subtle and on that. And, I mean, we don't know, haven't been to the Diamond District, so we don't know how they talk about the Diamond District down there. But, you know, it, I guess I, I never, I didn't notice it, but I've only watched it the once. So um, I'm coming in without having been able to watch, like you've watched it, had a few months off, then come back and watch it. So you've probably picked up a bit more than I have. But um, yeah. I also yeah. just don't think the actor matched the tone of the film enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have these people, like, literally, like, blowing out their eye sockets, yelling at each other and stuff. And now this guy's trying to yell at Adam Sandler and it's like a, it's almost like a hushed tone he's yelling at him. Yeah. I guess he's just like, he just knows he's good at what he does, which is not being the alpha in any story. He's just like, I can do what I do well. And he's just trying to, which he, he does end up in another job. He gets another, yeah, he gets and, another job and stares him down. And probably smart for him with the, how the film went down in the end. He could have ended up dead if he hadn't quit. So, um, yeah, and we'll get to that, too, later. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand the dynamic between Albert and his henchmen, or what? It, like, whatever. We'll get to it when we talk about well, that. Well, I think they were just, they were his collectors, so they weren't technically his, they were just guys that he hired to be his deck collectors, like, is my understanding of them, which, um, you know, deck collecting is a... Got him in the head at the end? <laughs> like, deck collectors are fucking hardcore, so I'm not... That that's, that rings very true to me, is that deck collectors slash, you know, holdover guys, you know, standover guys, sorry. Um, I'm not going to say that's not true, because I'm sure it fucking happens. Um, you know, Fair enough. And when you got a so guy... Get involved you, in that shit. Partic- yeah, particularly when people are... Um, they live their life in a world where they've got to be constantly kind of aggro and alpha male and on, on edge, like um, I'm forgetting the character's name, but the, the guy that does the shooting essentially, uh, uh, Phil Arno's quick tempered henchman is what Wikipedia says. <laughs> apt, yeah. Apt description. Um, when you live your life, kind These, of, uh, yeah. When you live your life kind of in that world where you constantly kind of got to be, You've got to be threatening. Um, is just by, by by default, really. Is your so then it's probably very quick to the way you make your money. Yeah, yeah. it's probably very. Qu- it doesn't. It's not so much of a stretch to get to the point of just pulling the trigger because you're pissed off. Whereas you know, for people like us, it, it is a big stretch. But for him, um, 
I, 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 Again, I, people I, who live their life on the edge of their seat. Yeah, um, yeah. Which this film, um, but, <clears throat> I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm riffing from the Wikipedia page right now, but it's you know the easy way of getting my, my Wikipedia research. Yeah, uh, what we bring to the table. Uh, the Safdies said that they were kind of like you know you, you've mentioned already a little bit about how they um their uh, the the idea of the character and um and the world they're living in was heavily influenced by their upbringing Jewish upbringing with their father working in the diamond district um and they also said they wanted um Howard to have like be have all these Jewish stereotypes be a part of his character because they wanted him to like be kind of they said treat treat the be proud of the stereotypes and treat them as a superpower like be you know super Jewish as like as part of his character and living in this world and also the the Jewish concept. Of, uh, look, I don't know much about Jewish culture, so um, but learning learning through suffering is not something I've is something I've heard of before, as far as just you know part of that. So they said the concept of learning through suffering is a big part of the film, which um, I guess. But does he learn? He doesn't learn. Well, that's, no, the, that, that's the thing. Like, is it, is it? I guess that's the irony of it. Is it? Is it just per, you're perpetually learning and perpetually suffering might be part of it. Again, I'm not going to speak for the culture, but um, that's I just, kind of, well, kind maybe of that's like, why he ends up dying in the end is because he doesn't learn anything from the suffering. I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Was he was he finally going to like set it straight after he won his 1.2 million that he won? Or I don't think he showed any signs of doing that. Yeah, because as soon as he got as soon as he got the windfall of getting the money for the opal, he uh, just double double and nothing's it basically. Um, yeah, well, that's way more than double or nothing. Yeah, but, obviously, just the you know, just the the standard trope of double or nothing. But um, yeah, he he finally gets himself out of all of his little fucking. Which just the writing of this film is brilliant, by the way. Just how, you know, it's the opal thing. Then he he, he like you know lends gun at the rock, and then um, uh, the black opal, which is interesting for me, like because Australia, like that's one of our big precious gems here is um, opals as well. Um, I used to have opal earrings. Yeah, it was pretty the, dope. The black opal has always been something I've always found pretty, like, just fascinating as an idea, like, because it's meant to be so rare and obviously. Um, so I was really, it was really cool to see that end up being the gem of the film. But yeah, when, you know, when Garnet obviously feels some magic in it and um, takes it to borrow and he says, I'll, I'll hold your ring as collateral, but then he immediately goes and pawns it off and, and then just starts. Yeah, that's like one of the first moments where you're like, this isn't going to go well for yeah, anybody. Exactly. At least he got the ring back. Yeah, yeah, but then he had to up his uh, his Knicks ring, which um, you know it was made. You Maybe know. that is learning from your mistake, I guess. Yeah. But, or he knows Kevin Garnett probably would have killed him too <laughs> if he was like. But going back to the henchman for one second, mm-hmm. um, I think like right from the point that Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett's bodyguards like kind of body them at the start of the film, mm-hmm. like. Like Howard was just done for after that because like those dudes are psychos and they just took it personal when he bodied them. Mm-hmm. Even though you never see the guy that got punched in the face again, they pick up another henchman. But um, from that moment on, after those guys get bodied, they like took it as a sign of you know they wanted to kill Howard after that. So I think they were gonna get it by any means possible. So kind of a bummer. Yeah, I guess you could, yeah, if you look at it uh, after having seen it, I guess I don't know what it was like for you rewatching, but you just saw the right. I maybe saw the writing on the wall more clearly on rewatch. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know why the first time I watched it, I thought like 
Howard was gonna be able to get away in the sunset, I guess, in a way. But Maybe and I don't even think he really deserved it. Anyway, he didn't deserve a sunset finish. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like a it's a interesting it's a human thing when you're watching a movie, you kind of naturally just root for. I mean, great, good movies make you root for characters that are less than, um, obviously, you know, anti-heroes or whatever. Um, you know, a lot of films... Well, just like Good Time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was yeah. rooting for Robert Pattinson the whole time, and you're like, this guy's fucking over a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Including his brother, who is mentally challenged, so... And a, In a way. And a 16-year-old yeah. girl, which is... Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty off-putting. It's, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's brave to do that in a film because as long as you do it, you know, turn like right tonally, it, it just kind of highlights the, a, a dark CD world. Um, you also don't un- know how old he is. No, but I assume I, I you just assume being that he's, um, mid twenties or something. Yeah. I mean, just knowing obviously his age as an actor, but, um, the age he portrays is he's kind of in somewhat independent and just kind of, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, they don't. They don't pull any punches. The safeties, which is, which is good because it, it kind of sets you up for anything. Um, which obviously uncut gems. Uh, yeah, it does shock with its ending and. Um, but, yeah. Now I've completely forgotten where I was going. But. Um, That's my fault. I derailed us. No, no, but. it's fine. <laughs> I don't know how many train puns we can get into this train puns and metaphors <laughs> into this pod, but. Um, yeah, Howard's. Uh, we were talking about anti-heroes and whatnot and, and whether or not, um, you know, you don't want... It's the interesting thing with thinking about life and films and, and characters like this is they live in a world that is very real. So it's like none of, none of us are perfect. None of us are true heroes. You know, you know Captain America really do- doesn't exist. Um, so we've got to understand that every character that we're really going to enjoy in films that are, you know, very gritty and real like this, are gonna, they're going to have imperfect parts of them. And I... Howard does, you know, he's obviously fucked over his... But he, he he does seem like he's trying to... He's balancing a lot of things, including his family life, which, you know, they're holding... They're kind of keeping the secret of the divorce until after Passover. And even though he's not the... You know, he's... He kind of, you know, he's distracted... A distracted father. But he does seem to genuinely care. Um, um, he's obviously just... Yeah. At, in this moment that we're in, in this movie, and we don't know what happened before, and it's probably that he was a bit absent at, at times... I, he does care about them. He's just, he's just, he's an imperfect character. He's, he's, he's so focused. He, he's so, he's always got things on the go because that's part of his character. And it sounds like, I imagine him growing up as this character was like, he just started in this life and kept on making deals. And it's kind of like what happens in this, not that I've been a heavy gambler or anything like that, but you just, there's an addiction to winning and obviously being involved in the, um, you know, diamonds and jewelry and the trade of high, high-end luxury items like that you're always trying to make a bigger deal like you know car salesman and uh, you're just always trying to make a big deal and then obviously he's got gambling problems as well so it's just an addiction to winning in everything in life and that kind of just you know we meet him at this point where he's really got a lot of things that he's trying to balance to get out of it but then he's never really going to get out of it we kind of get to the point of and obviously he doesn't at the end but um yeah yeah, I mean, even even when he hits that windfall, I don't think there was ever a plan to, like, you know, ride off into the sunset, like I've said. I don't think, you know, 
they were just going to go away on all that money they won, and he would be happy with that. Just yeah, he, he no, d- he d- his DNA is just not set up for it. Right. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I the, the relationship between, uh, I mean, uh, Julia's a great character. I really actually like complicated as well. Um, cause very her, complicated. But her role, both in possibly, um, well, obviously being part of the factor of the breakdown of his marriage to Dina. Um, also weird how, you know, it's Julia. I think actress's name is Julia Fox and she's character's name is Julia. They might have done that on purpose. Well, yeah, I was about to say that because, you know, Adina Menzel playing Dina. So it's just interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it makes it easy on set. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated relationship, obviously. there's the, um, I mean, if, you, if you'd asked me five years ago, if, uh, whenever I knew um, when The Weeknd existed, if I'd watch a serious drama movie where Adam Sandler got into a fight with The Weeknd, um, I would have laughed in your face. So, hey, kudos kudos to the world for just keeping on surprising me in good ways with film, not with what everything else that's going on. But, um, yeah, it's like it's a complicated relationship they have. But at the end, it's strange. That might be the thing that was heartbreaking to me more about Howard's demise is that there was some heartfeltness to the imperfection of their relationship. Like, they obviously had issues... Um, he had his trust issues because she, um, her role at the business was to sell, um, and she was trying to sell to the weekend and possibly do everything she could to do that. Um, you know, so it's a complicated relationship, but there was a heartfelt way, the way they kind of made up and were getting this deal to happen, you know, getting her down to the casino to book her on it. But when he says, I've booked you on a blade, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is it? What is a blade? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that like a, is that a net? Is that like slang for the, for the subway? And she's on a helicopter. I'm like, I am so not rich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, was like, I have no idea what's going on. And then on that right rich now. guy is like one of the weirdest characters in the film, but he's like a, I don't know, whatever. Um, well, I guess we can jump to that quickly. Did you think he killed her? Like when he's walking out with the bags? I was like, oh, no, God, she's, I did not think I, that. I did I not straight think away that. went to she's dead in the hotel room. He's walking out with he's, he's gone down with the you watch too many horror films, dude. Like yeah. that dude's super rich already. He like has his own private helicopter. He doesn't he's not going to murder he, somebody he, for like a million dollars. Addicted to winning. I don't know. I it, it is probably just my where I go with movies. That dude but, was just like a Jimmy Buffett, like weirdo. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, right, I I'm I, like uh, the Adam Sandler son. Uh, after the Jewish uh, Passover meal right now. So <laughs> I got to go knock on my neighbor's door. All right. <laughs> see if they'll well, let me gonna, use their bathroom. We're going we're gonna to take an intermission right now and uh, we'll be right back once Shay's knocked on the neighbor's door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the joke here, all right? I got fucked. A million dollars is what I was supposed to get. I get a fucking what? Made 65 G's? You gave some niggas from Ethiopia a hundred grand for something you thought was worth million dollars. You don't see nothing wrong with that, house. Ethiopian miners, you know what these fucking guys make? A hundred grand's 50 lifetimes for these fucking guys. A million dollars is more, is my point. You well, understand? Well, if you, you want to win by one point or fucking 30 points, KG. Right? I see you out there when the fucking stadium's all booing you. You're 30 up, you're still going full tilt. Let's see what Vegas, what has Vegas got you guys at tonight? Take a look, let's see. Are you, are you serious, you gonna put this up right here? Look at this shit. The Sixers are supposed to win the game tonight, they think. We don't keep track of none of that shit. Who they think on game seven, you're not gonna get fucking 18 points. 
They don't think you're gonna get eight rebounds? These guys don't know shit about ball. What the fuck are they doing? Doesn't that make you want to fucking kill them? Doesn't that make you want to say, fuck you for doubting me? Doesn't that make you want to step on fucking Elton Brand's fucking neck? Come on, KG, this is no different than that. This is me, all right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my fucking way. This is how I win. All right? All the fucking hard work I do, all the fucking ass kicking and the dues I pay, you're not gonna score on the big one on game seven? Fuck these people, right? That's how you feel, I know you do. So look. Let's fucking bet on this. Let's bet on this shit. All right, and we're back. I've hit hit on one part of my bet. Well, I, I think I said piss breaks technically, but you know, bathroom breaks, whatever. Um, from the opening of the pod, uh, yeah. So we're back. Shay's feeling better. <laughs> we're back. I got yeah. I got another I got another drink, so we're good to go. I'm a bit more uncut gems chat. I would have said, "Who's that lady living in your house?" Uh, whatever. I would have made a <laughs> some sort of joke, but it probably would have got you like in trouble with the missus. And it's <laughs> obviously not true. So it would, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But just know my brain was going there, like to try to be clever. But, yeah. Uh, well, that was. Uh, interesting like every moment of this film just somehow finds a way to ratchet up tension and even just him like going up to the apartment trying to find a place for his kid to take a shit just so his kid doesn't go in and potentially see the woman that's in there and then the kid just finds out from the guy next door because naturally neighbors anyway neighbors chat and he's just like oh who's that hot girl that's living with your dad and he's just like walks out and like everything he's done to try and cover up that stuff is just like oh fuck i just gotta say don't say anything anyway so and if he just let him go there, then he would have been fine because the girl, the Julia, wasn't exactly there. Julia wasn't there anymore. So it's just, it's a very, very brief microcosm of everything that's going on in that movie. Is just he's trying so hard to not, cover his not fuck it up, cover his tracks, and even just with his bets and his money moving around, he's trying so hard that, but because of everything that's gone on before, it fucks up anyway. Like that first initial bet he places where he thinks he's one big on, then they grab him later on and they're like, you've been running all over town placing bets with my money. And it, then they're like, yeah, we canceled the bet. And he's like, oh my God. And like, yeah, yeah. And that, was, that was another moment. I think I just went, oh, for fuck's sake, like out loud. What's yeah, it's a pretty just... sinking feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause You're it's like, just oh, the you entire... actually hit on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, good, good foreshadowing for the later in the film is like when it, cause you, you just sitting there thinking, no, something's going to go wrong with this, this bet too. And, and then they, then he hits on it, and um, well, just betting on the opening tip, which is literally betting. I was so like, much what the on the flip fuck? of a coin? <laughs> and it's it's such a gambling thing to do, though. And like, not that I've ever bet a hundred and sixty million, uh, hundred sixty thousand, <laughs> or whatever he is, whatever he bet on the bet. But you know, I've had a twenty dollar. Yeah, bet, $20. well, it's whatever he got for the opal. Yeah, um, I've had a bet. You know, I've had bets where you just. You just yell and scream for the smallest part of the bet, like an opening tip, and then the rest of it usually falls apart for mine. But um, like betting five bucks on City every week. <laughs> hey, I made my money back on that one. So <laughs> yeah, and we haven't even had the season. Well, the season's yet. coming back, so maybe we'll yeah. see. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. I could, I could, I can bet bet the season out. I made my money back. I did the math already. I'm good. Still waiting uh, for Mohegan Sun to. Or well, Connecticut legalized sports gambling, so I can go to Mohegan Sun, the the casino in this film, randomly. Yeah. So, <laughs> which sports gambling isn't legal, and yet she somehow bets. Unless there's multiple Mohegan Suns, but I would doubt that. 
Yeah, I'm gonna... be, because the Mohegan Sun is run by uh, the Mohegan tribe here in Connecticut. So yeah, um, but nice. Uh, they must like. Is it separate rule? Like, so they can, so they don't have a sports book there. You don't think? No, sports yeah. gambling isn't legal here. Right. Well, I guess it might be kind of like. Um, I know Taylor Sheridan. Um, this is a complete side note, and I'm sure it'll come up again when we do a Hello High Water Pod, but. <laughs> Someone was asking him questions in a in a Q and A about the about it, and he just said, "Don't ask too many questions, man. It's a, it's a house of cards." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, "I thought this would be cool and how I would do it, so I wrote a movie about it." And so, um, I think yeah. he was asking questions about the how how easy it would be to track back to the the, the brothers in Hello High Water, and you know. But anyway, yeah, it probably just made sense. He they probably just knew the Mohegan Sun was like, "Oh, just just catch a blade up there." Um, I'm still fascinated by. I am still it's fascinated also, by a world that you can book a helicopter like a fucking Uber. But anyway, yeah, it's f- also a native casino, so maybe they do allow it. And that's maybe what I was wondering. Like, is like maybe because it's a, like I assume it's on um, native, like you know, native land. It is. So yeah, um, it's different. Also, where the Connecticut Sun play randomly, it's a sports arena. There are arenas with the casino. And they're literally named after the casino. So, <laughs> well, yeah. that sounds like a weekend away next time I come visit you. So, <laughs> yeah, I got to find out if there's a sports book because I guess the casino's open today. Not that I would go to them, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I definitely know people who will be there. Yeah, um, but yeah, like placing. I again, I got sidetracked. Um, which is what we do on this pod because we get we go down rabbit holes of the films, which is half of the fun of it. Um. But yeah, placing that bet, I just, I remember just thinking like the how, how much, how into it he is when he's just like, cause you do, you place bets and I place a lot of parlays. Like I've played, placed 15 leg parlays where the fucking, the legs that don't win the bet for me are like, you know, fucking Danish second division soccer or something like that. <laughs> and it's just like, if I, and- if I hit on, if I hit on that one, then I'm going to fucking, then that's, that's the bet one. And I, and like that's like the opening tip thing is just like you, it's the stupidest part of the bet is what you're fucking hinging it all on and and he was strange like funnily enough he was right like he got the opening tip celebrated it and then he knew that Garnett was going to get the points and rebounds and um and you know Celtics winning the game was the last part of it and it's funny I'm like well, I was tense as fuck watching like the the sports highlights in the film like just thinking that you know. Yeah, adding the rooting interest of the, of the bet and the and the obvious undertones of the storyline of the film added to the sports, which were you and me are obviously big sports fans as well, was an interesting side dynamic of the the end, the kind of climax of the film. Yeah, it really intertwined sports really well, and like maybe one of the best uses I've seen of sports in a film of real sports. Um, it's clear that they did their research, and um, we talked, I think off air about all the different athletes that they thought about having in the Kevin Garnett role. Mm. And this movie is clear that these guys really like sports and especially basketball. So that was cool to see. I think that was a really good through line throughout the film and they wrote it really well. Um, They definitely know their sports. So that helps because this could have gone really wrong if they didn't. Yeah. uh, Sports and gambling and apparently the diamond district pretty well. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, we talked about it with um, Boots Riley and Sorry to Bother You last week that, you know, a lot of people could attempt to write films like this, but it, it takes having that real, just a naturalistic understanding of the world you're writing in. Um, and especially them, obviously, with their Jewish background, as well as 
having that sports love, being able to write that into the film, especially the fact they were obviously. Um, I mean, like, like first, let's talk about Ke- Kevin Garnett was fucking great in this film. Um, it's funny. Amazing. I was watching an interview with uh, Sandler and uh, Garnett on. It was Kimmel, I think, um, and Garnett walks out and sits down, and like, and you know, Kimmel goes, "Oh, you found yourself a new Kevin," kind of obviously referring to Kevin James. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, Garnett was, you know, as the new Kevin for Adam Sandler was fucking brilliant. Like, he's playing himself, but as he says on the, you know, uh, I think Kimmel in his interview says, "Is it? It couldn't be that difficult, could could it?" And he's like, "Yeah, it kind of is, because you've got to play yourself, but then you're you're reading lines as yourself, so it's kind of like." if you overthink it and you know, you might not do a good job, but he, it's, it's very natural. You believe it's, Ke- you, you believe obviously it is Kevin Garnett walking in there, but you believe the kind of idea that he's just, I had there looking for, you know, in his off time, just looking for something, you know, the extravagance of being, you know, having the money of a NBA player is like going and looking for, you know, high end, you know, items. And, and that idea, um, even though the, the idea like, um, you know, people are not, that are not in the sports world or have any, superstitions you know i'm not religious but i have random superstitions like for years like 10 years ago i had to drink guinness every time liverpool played um Dear no, matter, no matter what time and I, you know I'm, I'm about to crack a guinness for the pod so it's not that i still don't bad like club <laughs> bad beer <laughs> um but i've had my irish card revoked now <laughs> <laughs> uh the the superstition like the 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 intertwining of Garnett and the the whole subplot of the the Celtics series against the Sixers, um, and then like the the gem that was the uh, the core of the movie as far as Howard's fortunes go, but then it was also Garnett's fortunes. The way it's written, like it, I I remember when I first saw the trailers for the film, I was like, oh, it's kind of gimmick just to get Kevin Garnett. But they fucking really like, as you said, it was like really well written, and they cared about what they were writing about, and they've really made it a genuine. I I was. Writing an athlete into a film, like, I mean, I, I love, I love like LeBron James is about the only thing I enjoyed about Trainwreck. Like, not not a terrible movie, but I didn't enjoy it greatly. But LeBron James is really fucking funny in it. He was. Mm. No, it's a completely different film. I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's not that there isn't other actors out there that can act and and do corny, corny shit. <laughs> it follows LeBron's trajectory, and I'm not talking about him as like an activist, which I completely agree with him on. But everything else the dude does is corny. I knew that I was, I was going to get that from Shay as soon as I brought it up. As a corny, he's a terrible actor. I lo- I loved it anyway. I would watch a whole film about the alter ego of LeBron James. That is, I think Jordan's a terrible actor too. So well, you know, we can, whatever. Yeah, well, they're gonna they're, gonna, <laughs> they're both going to be Space Jam guys, um, but. Um, Garnett's, um, it was really, really quite natural for a dramatic film. Um, and obviously, uh, we've already talked a bit about the climax of the film in different avenues, but him sitting there and kind of going like, why? Like, why do you do this? And he, and he, and he, ber- he kind of berates him about the Ethiopian miners. And, and like that whole scene was re- like just the bounce off, they bounce off each other they had, um, that rapport that they had as actors. You know, in a scene, you forget it's Kevin Garnett, the basketball player. You believe it's Kevin Garnett, the actor. Acting is Kevin Garnett. You know, you know where I'm going with this. Right. Just, he just, it was just a really natural scene and really powerful and really. He cool made the script his own too. Yeah. I don't think the Safties wrote bitch ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. Word that I'll never say. Uh, yeah, I don't think they wrote that into the script. I think <laughs> Kevin made that artistic no, I think choice. Really, I think really good writers do give actors material that they can kind of bounce off and then they 
get their takes and work out which one works so in, in editing. So, yeah, I yeah right. certainly believe that Garnett would have um, thrown his own, um, you know, style style to the script as well. But that's what a great working relationship in film is, which is what's really cool to watch. Right, and obviously it was a a great script to get Lakeith Stanfield to play the role that he did, which is not very big. Um, but very, in the cru- grand very crucial things, as but well. very important and very, yeah. I just wish, and I think the, the, the golden age of television that we're going through right now, or at least that we just went through, is kind of like affected how we look at movies mm-hmm. because we can't get as into the story as you can in like a 10 episode series, obviously, because yeah. it's 10 hours compared to two. But it's just like, why is he so, why are these people so, it feels indebted to Howard, I guess. Even Julia. It's like, what is, like, wh- why is she so into Howard? Why is Lakeith, like, when Howard says, we're going to Philadelphia, and he's like, I just got back from Philadelphia, I'm not driving back there. And Howard's like, it's two hours we're going, and he just does it. It's like, what? There's something we're all missing with Howard. I'm not sure I miss it. I, I think I got it exactly. It's just that he's a high-end dealer in, in this business. He makes a lot of money. Like He's hiding his money issues from a lot of people because that guy that comes to try and... Uh, there's another that random guy that's kind of got the frizzy hair that he gives the watch to and just keeps pushing off throughout the film. Well, that's one of Lakeith's watches, too. Yeah, so. and, and he comes up to the car, and Lakeith's like, um, Damani's like, who was that guy? He's like, oh, nothing. I don't know who he was. He was some transient or whatever he's saying. So none of them, right. none of them actually know how deep uh, Howard's debts go. They still assume he's this guy with a lot of money that's, um, you know, in this business. Well, that guy seems like a, like a mid-range bookie or some shit. Because yeah. he says... Or not even a mid-range, a lower-level bookie when you're talking about like the money he's throwing around with Mike Francesa. But yeah, I mean, I think that guy like Howard got in debt to like a low, low stakes bookie, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, and maybe. he can blow him off with a fake Rolex. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think look, he, like he's he's just as involved in this world as he like like Howard's got a lot of energy for it. Like he's just go 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 go. I think. Keith's evolved in that world in a different way. He brings him the customers because he's his connections in the world, um, and he's obviously getting commission from these deals. Like he's talking about that, like the commission he's getting from Howard on these deals, which is obviously for a hundred and sixty thousand dollar rock is going to be a decent amount of commission as well. So he's in, he's not indebted to him. He's just he it's a business arrangement that is beneficial to Lakeith at Damani. Um, so I, I, to me, it makes sense. Like he's. Howard's business has obviously been there for a long time. Like it's very, you know, the people that work there. Like Yussi's been there for eight years himself before he quits at the start of the film. Right. Um, Julia obviously works there and has a ro- beyond um, being a lover for Howard. She's got a role there as a high end saleswoman as well. Um, she's doing deals of the fucking weekend by railing coke in a bathroom. So like she's obviously got her own own. But what deal is she doing with the weekend? It's the other guy who's trying to sell him a pendant that Howard's already pawned. Yeah. It's like the dude has too much stuff going on. Like, trying to bring him in. I think it's bringing people into the store because that's where you do the sales because that's where you show them the high end gear that's in the store. I also feel like she might have been a Coke dealer yeah. a little bit. I didn't get I, Again, you've watched it a couple uh, more than I have. So I've, I've got one watch to kind of get everything from, which is kind of an interesting. I, I enjoy coming out the film from an angle where you're just immediately reacting, but. 
It's just that she says, like, you knew the deal when you met me. Which I didn't know if that meant she was like Oh, and she's talking to Howard. Yeah. No, I think she's just talking about how she how she gets customers, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well fair enough. I'm just probably reading into it too much. But. Yeah, I don't think it was anything to me, I didn't take it as I, I don't know the exact line you're talking about. And I was like you hired me to, I think, because he he originally hired her for the shop, and obviously, I, is how I understood it. Then they they kind of got had a thing, and that helped break up the, you know, everything that's gone on there. And so his, I, she, he was, he hired her to be a saleswoman, also knowing that her looks and the way she presents herself would be beneficial to getting sales and getting customers. Just as Damani has his role in, and. Knowing, knowing people um, to bring into the store that they're going to have money like Kevin Garnett, like Julia's got her role as a saleswoman as well. Like these people are all people that get commission for, you know, how it's obviously doing the, bringing in the product to sell. Right. But, you know, they're, they're all getting commission for being a part of that process. So, yeah, I don't think they're indebted to it. And like I said, I think he's obviously his money problems were something he was hiding from everyone. As he That's was a good at, at doing all these deals. So as far as they were concerned, um, Damani and, and because Ju- Julie is living in an apartment that he's set up for her, and she's like, a, you know, partying and whatever, and he's not, he's not letting her in so much on on the gritty details of his money troubles. And Damani's just like, who was that guy? Because he doesn't know that, you know, um, Howard's indebted to all these people. So, yeah. So for him, d- driving to Philadelphia is normal with Howard because they're high end um, dealers of, you know, um, gems and jewels and everything else that rich people get that they ride in helicopters. Yeah, I guess the last scene we see, like Heath is him pouring the stuff in the fish tank, right? So I guess that's just kind of the end of their their working relationship. Yeah, (laughs) certainly not that he needed. It it was a business relationship that was beneficial to Damani until it wasn't, and then he, yeah, obviously, and for good reason because he trusted Howard to hide with those watches and was like, "Where are the papers? Where the?" He's like. Yeah. He's obviously... Well, and if you watch it, Howard's given those watches out throughout the film. Yeah, exactly. And getting them stolen from him, and yeah, so... And he's replacing them with fake ones, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, so... Yeah, so I would have I would have reacted the exact same way, because regardless of how, you know, Howard's like, what the fuck are you doing, Damani? And Damani's like, you know, not calling him back, and Kevin Garnett's still got the Opal and whatnot, but he's... He's just trying to do... He, he, he should have, like, oh, Damani the whole time actually had the right interest at heart. He knew... Kevin Garnett had this, this um, you know, uh, trying a spiritual relationship with this opal. Um, so he knew that deal was the one to do. Obviously, Howard had this um, unrealistic valuation that he'd done himself um, on the rock. So he was expecting to get way more money for it. But Damani, if if Damani had just been given control of the deal, he would have sold it for the one seventy five. Was it two hundred fifty thousand? I can't remember that. Kevin Garnett was going to pay more than what it was originally worth before the auction. He so, ended yeah. up paying sixty five for it. Yeah, but he was going to pay. That's what it made it auction. Yeah, but he was going to pay more for it beforehand when he thought it was valued by more. Um, and even well, he after, was trying I, to pay even, like for what a tenth of what Adam Sandler thought it was going to be. Yeah, or not a t- I don't know how the money works out, but something like that. Yeah, but um, there we go. Hey, look, we've been we've been running train metaphors into this whole this whole pod, so it was going to happen eventually. Plan of fire. Um, but uh, Ryan, that train high yeah. on cocaine. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Uh, but yeah, Julia like, and the week. 
Yeah, Damani was uh, for all like the differences him and Howard had with how the deal was going around, how he was uh, dealing with Kevin Garnett. Um, he was doing the he was doing the right thing. He was doing like just trying to build a business relationship there that was going to get a sale, and and obviously Howard betrayed his trust with fucking over, fucking him over with those watches. And yeah, Damani's re- Damani's reaction at the end was uh, when he fucks with the fish. Obviously, probably really expensive fish as well because you know just the rich people. Oh yeah. He's the um, one who was clown fish, one of those Nemo yeah. fish. Not that, not that I'm ever like for like you know killing animals in, uh, or in any living creature for. Uh, I didn't spite, like it. But, didn't like that move, but yeah. it was a last resort. But his anger, his anger was justified. So, um, yeah, and so yeah, yeah, really, and Howard, really great, really great yeah. character though, and really again, um, I mentioned last week that I love Lakeith and everything I've seen so far, and um, yeah, great, great job by him again yeah he's a, he's a great young actor yeah i mean just a really good good acting all the way around it just felt really realistic and i think the mm-hmm. realistic like especially julia's before when her and when her and adam sandler are getting into it after the weekend scene that is very mm-hmm. real, that's a very realistic fight that's uh yeah even more realistic than the fight in marriage story between two people getting divorced so um yeah definitely definitely adds to the high tense uh nature intensity nature of this film which was the realness of the fights between everybody and it's everybody's on edge because they're you know they're living by a razor's edge mm-hmm. because uh because everything could go tits up <laughs> pretty quick for everybody, and it really does. This entire film is just a graduate, is just tits up after tits up the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking about Kevin Garnett before, but um, it was interesting to see, uh, reading, the, reading the wiki about who, who else could have possibly played him. Um, the three, right. three names that were there was Kobe, Kobe Bryant, obviously. Um, yeah. RIP. And then uh, Amari. It was Joel Embiid, which seemed, you know, not. I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have liked it if he was in it, just because. It was Embiid and started like Bryant makes sense because obviously Garnett has a ring. There was, and he's obviously been a very big part of the NBA over the last twenty years. Um, Kobe, I don't need to say any more about his his impact on the NBA and 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 basketball and culture in general. Um, Embiid, Embiid was Embiid's, sixteen in twenty twelve. Yeah, like. He would have had to play a he would have had to play a fictional character. Um, there's one thing I guess. Or they I, would have had to make it more present. Yeah, and maybe they would have rewritten the film. Like maybe the film was written for different timelines depending on who they had. So because yeah, if it was Kobe, you know, you would have maybe said it in a different year. But um, well, they said Kobe, they would had they would have had to do it like not during the playoffs. They would have had to do it on this East Coast road trip that the Lakers went on. Yeah. They said they had, like, a window in mind. I don't know. I think KG's the perfect athlete for this. It did make, yeah. Because he's not, like... Like, he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not, like, Kobe. Yeah, I can't imagine... If Kobe had been walking into the Diamond District, it would have sent people... Garnett would have been a big deal, I would assume, but... Kobe's just old. like Kobe wouldn't have been running with Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, whereas it's just, KG, you can see it. <laughs> yeah, it's just it it just makes sense. I don't know exactly why. And like you said, it's just it just you you can just see it. Um, he's an LA guy. Amari like, Stoudemire, as as much as I loved him for a short period when he was like before he got perpetually injured for the Knicks. Um, 
And you know, look, he's an all star. He was a great player, but again, he doesn't. The ring was a big part of the film, so like obviously right. how it ended right. up being written, um, and just that aura of Garnett being one of those, you know, uh, high school. He's just part of that a, a unique part of NBA culture, and obviously being part and anything is possible. All the stuff that happened with him winning that ring for basketball fans. You know, we're not we're not Celtics fans, but we're fans of basketball and you know garnett's got a particular unique part of that that history that we all know of the nba and it was just a really it just it's funny how films just fall together like this like you know they could have had this guy or that guy or whoever else it just fell together that it was garnett was the one that they got and um it just it was all the better for it um i love obviously love kobe and tragically we won't see him in any films um apart from any hopeful documentaries we get but um I just don't think you would have been that good of an actor. I mean, rest in peace, but like... Yeah. I mean, I, and unfortunately, we'll never know. I never would have thought I'd be saying Kevin Garnett's performance is great either until until now. He but, just has that edge to it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. He just has a reputation that, like, this film makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, even, Amar- like, Stoudemire doesn't have that reputation. Yeah. Stoudemire like, Garnett has the reputation of, like, talking shit and, like you know, yeah. not being afraid of anybody. So it would make sense that he's going to a back back room jewel dealer. Yeah. And then even just sitting down in the jewel dealer's office saying, what the fuck? What, like, what, what are you doing here? Like, you know, what is this world you were part of? And then them being able to have that conversation, um, you know, and Adam, you know, Howard's really great spiel back at him saying, I'm, I'm just, win- this is my way of winning. You know, you're yeah. up, you're up by you're up by ten. You could just pack it in, but you just you, you still want to score more points. You want to win by thirty. Yeah, yeah, like all that stuff. Like you, yeah, having that conversation with Garnett made sense in that in that scene as well. Like as I said before, that scene was just so great and ri- written really well. But yeah, with Garnett, it just I said it's just magic. The magic of film. Like these these kind of films just fall together in a way that you know they they're right when they're writing them. They're not exactly sure how it's going to go. They're not even sure who they're going to get. And just when they get the guy, and it just all falls together like this. It's really cool. Yeah, um, I was happy about it growing yeah. up. First NBA game I went to was in Minnesota. So Kevin Garnett was, I think it was like his second or third year. So yeah, Seth Mar- Marbury versus Allen Iverson, KG. So yeah, he's been a big part of my life for a yeah. long time. So I'm happy. Like I was bummed when he went to the Celtics and when he won with the Celtics, but still happy for him. And yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Kevin <Gunn> out. <laughs> yeah so it was cool to see him in this film um i don't know i don't think kobe like i don't i'm like on the fence whether kobe would have been really into the opal like helping him win or if like he actually felt like he would ever need anything knowing kobe's weird like jordan like passion for the game not that kevin garnett wasn't passionate about the game yeah yeah i guess it just yeah with everything we know about kobe it would have seemed it feels really real with garnett because i guess because we don't actually know quite as much like kobe was so much in the public eye that we know so much about how his attitudes towards the game and maybe it's just i haven't read as much about garnett but i don't think anyone has read as about you know apart from garnett fans you know kobe's just the guy that's been in the public eye so much more we know so much there's been so much said about his preparation and you know, Mamba mentality and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I can't imagine him walking in and going, I need this Opal. I need it. This is going to be my, this is my energy. I've got a connection with this thing. I can imagine Kobe maybe having, like, he was, he was out there with how he saw the, like, I'm not out there, but just he saw, you know, he had, certain, yeah, he had 
ways of seeing the world. So maybe a connection to something is something Kobe would have, but just the way Garnett, uh, the, the, I need this and, 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 and having the storyline of Garnett um, having the bad game when he didn't have the opal wouldn't have made sense with Kobe. I don't think, you know, that, that just all definitely way. wouldn't have made sense with Amari. Like, Amari <laughs> like the Knicks didn't win shit. And like, I mean, the Safties are big Knicks fans. That's why they wanted Amari, but mm-hmm. they would have, it would have been a completely different story. So yeah, having that Boston backdrop um, is great for it. I mean, that's a Boston team in 2012 that almost went to the finals. I mean, they were up three, two mm-hmm. on, on the heat before yeah they blew it but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah also that year was a strike shortened year so i forgot that one of lebron's titles should be asterisked uh, I don't but know. Uh, we'll, I... Ta- we'll talk about that on a different podcast on our other podcast <laughs> uh i don't believe in asterisks because everyone still played the same number of games so um mm. <laughs> I love it when Shay does his hmm because he's just like I so want to say fuck you right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I disagree. <laughs> I disagree, Harry. <laughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I was getting to something and then I just I was just, uh, just thinking about having a sports argument in a in a, in a um yeah it's, it makes sense for the film um. The other interesting casting choice that I again the just the Wikipedia page rundown that Jonah Hill was originally in mind for well they they did want Sandler originally then his I think his and I think I saw this in the Kimmel interview he said his his manager is just they just it got sent back without letting him Sandler even read it originally and then they got the movie kind of greenlit and they got Jonah Hill in the role originally um, I love Jonah Hill as an act like obviously his comedic acting is is great like. Um, would that but, be too close to this war dogs character that i was thinking of that um and also a little bit of uh, wolf of wall street as well like just a mixture of those like that that high-end world yeah and, yeah yeah they're both that, and both those worlds are high-end for different reasons um maybe the war dogs character a bit closer to the jewel trade but you know i just like something BS i think he needed well. to be older than jonah hill that was exactly with what, the family yeah, yeah that was exactly where i was going to go is adam sandler's age and you know, the wonders of makeup and whatever they can do, they could have aged up Hill for the role, but it just still wouldn't have been as genuine. Like it's just Sandler was the the, he, the exact right age. I mean, I know they put the teeth in and whatnot to to. Um, I think they them, did, but I think they did that beyond. And they- they made his goatee and hair really black to sh- like that's what that character would do. Yeah, and I think Dude a, wants and to I think stay was, young. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a mole they put on him as well, just to just add a bit to the character. But yeah, yeah. Beyond that, the age, you know, it just made sense. Um, yeah. Uh, beyond that, like I think Hill was like I, I do respect Hill as an actor with his, some of his dramatic roles that he's played, and um, I certainly think he could do it. But it maybe maybe if this film was made in fifteen twenty years, then Hill's the guy. But yeah, I'm very glad they were able to get Sandler back on board. You know, send whether I think he, I think he said he saw Good Time and just like and found out who these Safety brothers were and yeah. I think he wanted another challenge. Yeah, um, he's been you know, and hopefully the Safties keep doing that because I think they much like A24 takes chances on films, they take chances on actors, whether it's Adam Sandler in this and all the people we've talked about putting Francesa KG. Yeah. Yeah, everybody in this, or, or it's Robert Pattinson, um, you know, three years ago, putting him in. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's before he did Lighthouse. That's before he had 
I mean, I haven't seen the Twilight films, but uh, it's before he'd shown that he could be that gritty actor and kind of yeah. take you out. Well, he, he did do a 2014 film, which is A24 as well, called The Rover, which is an Australian post-apocalyptic film with Guy Pearce. It's apparently, I still haven't seen it. I've just, again, one on my list, but apparently he's really good in that too. So, But again, he's still, The Lighthouse is probably the one that's really, really elevated Robert Pattinson. Like, uh, He's done a lot of great films in recent, like Good Time being one of them, but no one's seeing them. Because they're kind of you know low budget in that indie kind of realm of not being mass mass talked about. But the well, lighthouse. lighthouse could be a play. I mean, honestly, yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't been well. It hasn't been out very long, but I wouldn't be surprised if it gets adapted mm-hmm. and people take it on on Broadway if Broadway ever exists again after this pandemic. And that's what everybody's forgetting right now is that there's still the pandemic going on. Like a disease isn't going to stop because of social unrest. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> whatever that's yeah. for a different top that's for a different time yeah but yeah the um yeah the performances obviously um i do yeah i do think that stanley was and you know if you'd been giving me this script beforehand and told me to pick an actor i don't know who i would have picked and i don't know if stanley would have been near the top of my list because you do forget you just don't but that's why these guys the safety brothers are really great at what they're doing um they're young filmmakers that are that C and obviously the aesthetic, um, which is the other thing I wanted to get to, is like there's a there's an energy and an, uh, an energy and a color and a vibe to their films that is just uh, um, we've already touched on the score, um, but yeah, the the whole look. Um, I'm a big fan of neon soaked kind of films when they're done the right way. Like um, it's a different genre, but I really enjoy what Joe Bigos did with VFW and Bliss. Um, which are kind of in the horror genre more so, but um, well, they are. I was going to say I haven't seen those. So. But um, <laughs> they're very, like, Bliss is a very neon-soaked kind of uh, underworld LA movie with, this, uh, it all takes place at night, basically, and there's a lot of blood, and, but it's nightclubs, pumping music, neon lights, which uh, Good Time has a lot of that. But and then um, Good Time has a bit of, like, you know, fluoro color with um, the, near the end of the film when they're, um, in the theme park and he's putting on the, the security costume costume or uniform but then um you know there's a the scene <laughs> the scene in the club with Damani and um in uh yeah, Uncut really. Gems where he's really stands out cuz he's wearing that that big bright orange yeah, yeah. a bright orange sweatshirt and it's like an it's an aesthetic of neon nightclub kind of pumping vibes that I it, it obviously the the film has to make sense for it tonally but I, it, when it's done, done right it's a really cool um just when Julia it. wearing the white, which yeah. really stands out under the black light, like yeah. mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it's really well done. Like there's no golden hour bullshit in this yeah. <laughs> in their film. It's all gritty northeast shit that you know. It's just there's not that golden hour here really. <laughs> so you know, it's not L.A. It's uh, so. There's this one going back to the soundtrack really quick or the score. Um, there's this one scene that's like, it's when they get back after the play and everything. Like it's one of the moments where it's kind of settling down, which in a movie that doesn't really settle down. But um, it's like him taking out the trash, and there's this like really like 1980s saxophone, and it really just like messes with your head almost. You're like, wow, this feels out of place, but at the same, since it's like. 2019 but it also feels right i don't know it's just really it just leaves you the viewer on edge again so it's like 
you're just like, wow, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But I, as I texted you, I think before you even saw both these films, um, it's just like they, they leave you with a unique feeling that you don't really get. Yeah. Like, I think after watching both films, I had the exact same feeling, but I've never had that feeling while watching anybody else's films. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird because both films don't end on an exact, exactly happy note, but I'm not like depressed after I watch them. It's just a, it is a weird, unique feeling that is unique to both films. Just as I said earlier in the pod, they they're a great kind of double feature in that sense because aesthetically, the look um, it's a lot of nighttime and um, obviously the same guy doing the score. There's a very similar sound to the soundtrack, very synthy and kind of spacey. I think you you said earlier as well. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, the color and just the just the filming style. Um, they get some really cool, unique shots in there as well. Like a good times, the one in particular where the guys like looking down from the apartment building at Robert Pattinson trying to get away and kind of just... The, right, the overhead. Yeah, yeah. It's just, they get, like... It's nothing exactly groundbreaking, but they just... They they do get the right shots for the films, and, um, yeah, it's just... Yeah, they're great, talented young filmmakers. But for guys that I hadn't really heard of until Uncut Gems came out, because I hadn't heard any of their, of their early work until Uncut Gems, and then it's it, they're kind of a good time and the other early work that's been mentioned that I haven't seen has been talked about a bit more, but yeah, they they definitely they've learned their craft the hard way, and it show like, but it shows in how they've how well they've mastered it. Considering this is really their first big budget kind of movie, uncut gen. Well, it's, it's not a big budget. It's only like a nineteen million dollar budget. Yeah, but for them, I th- I think even Adam Sandler said like they were just like so used to kind of a guerrilla style filmmaking that um, in this interview on Kimmel or whatever I was watching, he said they just didn't. They're like, uh, this is the first movie that they had like trailers and you know big crowd scenes and were able to shoot. Right. She should get get shooting permits for like doing walking through the streets of New York kind of scenes because Good Times very much at night. There's uh, not many people around ever in that film because it is low budget and they're doing a lot of filming like in small scale stuff. And he said, you know, they 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 had the Safties had to get used to a big budget film or, or bu- a film of that just level of budget for this because they're so used to it. But that that's shown in how well they've mastered it this for uncut gems is because they've gone through all that they've had to you know guys that have had to learn to improvise to be able to make films that look better than what they should be for the budgets and that's that's how guys like this get their careers and get a film like uncut gems made because they've done the hard yards yeah i'm really interested to see where they go from here uh because obviously they have this genre down i don't know what this genre is i guess thriller um but uh yeah I'd, I'd I'd like to see them branch out a little bit after this. Yeah, I, I don't know where I read it, but I feel like they might be doing a remake of Forty Eight Hours or something like that. Um, All right, so oh, not the case, but <laughs> <laughs> that probably deserves a. I mean, that would be a good movie to redo in our modern day American society because I I think Nick Nolte is pretty racist in that a racist cop in that so. Yeah, yeah, I would say that could probably use a re-release. Yeah, it's um. Uh, so yeah, so it's not re- the film. I'm uh, just reading. I just quickly read on the wiki to make sure I had had that right. It was t- 2017. Now it it was announced they were going to helm a 48 hours remake, and then in December 2019 they elaborated and said the film was still being made, but it would no longer be a remake. So I guess I don't know. If, the script would instead be shifted into something original. So I guess they're taking the inspiration of the original 48 hours and making something their own. So, hey, that's that's great. Getting a bit more freedom with it, I assume. And 
I assume being that they announced that in December 2019, maybe the release of Uncut Gems allowed them a bit more creative freedom on the project, maybe. so. Yeah, once they made, like, doubled their money on a yeah. box office, maybe they got more invest. Yeah, more confidence, whatever. I'm interested to see what they do next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I mentioned to you off air, I had, like, and <laughs> this is, like, not a big issue. It's not. It was just something interesting to me that those two... And I'm probably super out of touch as well, so it's not like a big deal. But there's two terms that were used in the film that it's set in 2012, so the middle of 2012. Um, at one point, a character uses the term resting bitch face. Right. And then another time uses the term she's so extra or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, those terms I never heard in the popular like popular culture and, you know, used in English language um, regularly until probably the last few years myself. I did a little bit. I did as much internet research I could on the original or the uses of those terms into and resting bitch face had a was written into a, some sort of dictionary in 2013. Um, it was known as a term for a long time before that, but it only got popular apparently in 2013. So that's one thing. And then the kind of use of extra in the slang term that is used in that context. As as far as I could tell, has only been used in the last four or five years as well. So before 2012, so I was just like, I don't know if that shows that the script was written in a certain like like we were talking about before, that it was written for multiple different timelines depending on who they got, and it just stayed in there. And it doesn't take me out of the film at all because it is kind of contemporary and that's it. Like the only 2012 part of it is the Celtic series specifically. Everything else right. about it is very current. Um, you know, even the weekend is in it as like an up and coming guy from Canada. Right. Um, so that's kind of that they did that really well. Like having a guy that's really popular now be in it as himself, but as the up and coming guy um, was really right. cool. So it didn't bother me too much, but I was like, it was a little like writing thing of mine is like that you do, you do look at terms that you know now, and when you're writing things, if you're writing them for a certain time period, you've got to have that thought in your head. And I could be completely wrong, and that was getting used in that in their circles at that time. I just from everything I could research and everything I could uh, find myself, it, they only became popular a little bit, not long after that. So it's not like, a, it's not a big deal at it's all. It's possible the kids were saying it. And uh, yeah, I'm like a 32 year old guy now. So I'm like, I'm well out of touch. Well, you were 24 back then. So, but, <laughs> uh, but I mean like the kids, the kids, they kind of yeah. influence the modern lexicon. Yeah. But uh, but as, as much as I could find it, they were terms that really only became popularized soon after that. But, um, yeah. yeah, whether that's just a small, yeah, that's a. I'm a guy. It to, could I'm, also I'm, be yeah. they were like they told um, the teenage actress who was like, "Hey, just act like you're on a phone call with yeah. one of your friends," and they didn't actually write the lines up for her. Mm -hmm. And that could so be because we were talking about that. You were talking about that with Garnett earlier as well. So, yeah, I don't because I don't know if they would put like the background noise of her talking on the phone into the script i'm sure they would i mean script writers do that but mm -hmm. maybe i don't i don't know maybe they're so focused on because it's not really a big part of, part of the scene <clears throat> obviously no, no, not at all. her being on the phone like i yeah. said that was just something that both times that those terms are said it made me maybe just sit there and go when were they when did that start becoming a popular term in that context and again that's just me as someone who notices little things like that more because I'm trying to do writing and whatnot, and it's just right. and it's not like it's a, it's not something I actually criticize the film for at all. It's just it's an interesting note to how to read films, it's particularly ones that are set in certain times. It's just interesting to 
And it was interesting for me because I was like, when did those? When did I start hearing those terms? Because like you do think about that because they're so normal. They're so normal um, in what how people talk about things now, um, whether it be online or whatever. And you know, resting bitch face is something I've known for a long time. But it did make me think when I heard it. I was like, when did I f- first hear that? So it was just that's why I jumped on Google after the film and was just like, which is really hard to Google. When was resting bitch face first used? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then and then trying to use, and trying to Google extra in the slang term is really <laughs> right. hard because it's obviously just a normal word um, at, at its base. So yeah, yeah, I have no concept of time anymore, so yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, this is watching up. I was also drinking quite a bit in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you probably met me. Then well, actually, no, it was 20, around then 2013. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, <laughs> drinking in preparation for the for the downfall after that. Right. <laughs> um, did you have any other real notes on the film, or I know we we're talking about. Uh, I'm sure I do, but just nothing jumps to mind right now. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be kicking myself after it. But uh, as Simmons said, on rewatchables, and not that we're trying to mimic it uh, that too much, but uh, never want to do a podcast longer than the actual film. Yeah, yeah. Well, Which I think we've, we've I done. Think we've, done we've done a couple of times and have gone way short. We we average in, but in, anywhere from an hour after two hours, which is fine. Um. Oh, the sorry, I almost forgot. But we did start last time. Uh, sorry to bother you, Pod. Starting with um, just bringing up the uh, um, Rotten Tomato scores and just kind of figuring out where we think we stand as far as the popular. You know, the review aggregators of the film and whether we think it's overrated, underrated, or properly rated. Rotten Tomatoes is 92%. IMDb is 7.5 out of 10. Metacritic Metacritic is 90%. And Google users are at 70%. Um, Where are you at with that? Yeah. (laughs) A little bit like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes are actually very close, which is um, not always the case. Uh, Google users is interesting because I I actually thought it would be a bit higher than that. you know, Google users are often a bit more generous than the Rotten Tomatoes, but some well, it's are... probably a bunch of kind of like we were talking about last week, a bunch of people who thought this is an Adam Sandler movie, so yeah. it's going to be uh, <laughs> like yeah. all goofy and shit. And it's like, oh no, you're introduced to a way different side of it. Yeah, the guy that's what really I nice. would say it's slightly overrated. I'd yeah. probably put it at like an 83, 84 area. Yeah, at least when we're going Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'd probably, again, like last week, I'm probably just a touch higher than you. Um, certainly, I don't think I'm at 92%. I'm probably like 86, 87, because I think it's, um, I think what it does from a creative standpoint, from what the Safties did with writing a film, this is this would have been incredibly hard to get made with, you know, as we've said before, the bringing an, bring an NBA athlete into it and have him act as himself and write the storyline of his career into the film and make it so natural to the film was a really quite impressive. Um, Adam Sandler's performance, we've said already, was r- really quite great. Um, obviously, we knew he had it in him, um, but his his MO is... <laughs> I keep saying Jack and Jill. Yeah, I, I just think it's funny he's made some truly terrible films that even though he's a guy I love in like the Happy Gilmore's and stuff. But yeah, getting that performance out of him um, and just the making a unique film um, gets a few points from me. So... Probably say my base is the low eighties because of a few points like that. It gets gets it up towards the high eighties for me. Um, yeah. As far as a rotten tomato score goes, um, yeah, I think it's, Google users is a good reflection of, and that's why it's good to read the different um, 
aggregates because Google uses is just a thumbs up, thumbs down from people that go on Google and click it. So it's a really and you know seventy percent probably is fair because like you said, there might be a few guys that have watched Billy Madison fifty times and that's their idea of a cla- and no. I'm one of them, yeah. <laughs> but I also have depth. So I yeah, like, yeah. Um, I think Rain Over Me is underrated. Um, that Adam Sandler plays a real mess in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Punch Drunk Love, as off putting as not off putting, but as uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is another one of those directors who leaves you with a feeling that's very unique after a lot of his <laughs> films. And Punch Drunk Love, The Master, even Phantom Thread. Um, We've done yeah. a pot on Magnolia very, already, so yeah, we yeah, yeah, we've definitely gone. Magnolia is just a whole different ball game, but so yeah. is Punch Drunk Love. But uh, yeah, so I wish Adam Sandler would do more of these, but it is cool that he does them like every I don't know ten years to re- to remind you that oh yeah, I could do this all the time if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So it is like surprising when it happens so i enjoy that yeah yeah and he, he does seem like you know i was watching some interviews with him and garnett just doing the the circuit for this film and yeah sandler just seems like he's really you know kind of just satisfied guy with his career which is really cool to see like you know it's cool to see guys just had a career that's you know even if i don't like a, some of the co- like comedic choices lately because yeah and maybe just because i don't have as much time to commit to just watching i don't like watching comedies i i like re-watching the ones i love more than i like because you know it's very easy to you know watch a comedy that you really don't like and it's like fuck i don't can't get that hour and a half back so um yeah but, it's like you could have watched you know any number of films on like you could have found one happy, of the safties earlier films yeah. and watched that instead i could just watch happy gilmore again which i'd be perfectly happy with so um yeah yeah, <laughs> never a bad but, choice. You know, I'm sure yeah. we'll do that at some point. We haven't done like a true comedy comedy on here yet, so I'm yeah, sure we'll we'll have to find one soon. Um, Maybe like when golf comes back and the Masters it takes place in August or whatever, if that actually happens. Yeah, Happy Gilmore. Um, yeah, Caddyshack, which I think we were talking about with you that you need to see. No, you've seen Caddyshack. Yeah, duh. No, Vince. Has, Vince hasn't seen Caddyshack, which blew my oh, mind. Oh come on, Vince. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's I mean, a golfer. Isn't yeah, it? no, he said he said he's emba- he said he said he's just like I don't know how I haven't seen. It. He's it's like kind of like you know I've had films that have just just kept escaping me. God um, damn it! I wish he would have seen that when he was younger because I like grew up on it. I think my dad showed it to me when I was like in sixth grade, which is wild because there's some problematic stuff in there. The least of which being nudity, but. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, some great classic performances from you know you got you know Chase and. And Dangerfield and uh, and and Bill Murray and one of his it is great just understated not understated but just like he's a he's kind of a bit part in it but he's very memorable like because he just pops up and yeah yeah I've got my a, only problem I've got with a, it I've got now a, is that I've Chevy a, Chase is an asshole but yeah but you know Bill Murray apparently is to it depending on who you ask so. Well, if you ask Chevy Chase, he is, but Chevy Chase is, a, is the real yeah. asshole. I was listening to a podcast with a screenwriter who wrote Charlie's Angels, and he didn't name the name, but he said there's one guy I would never work with again. And I was like, well, you're talking about Charlie's Angels, so I know there's only one person that I know. Well, him and Lucy Liu got into it. Yeah, but he said that his he didn't name the name, but he he got he just basically said we're doing we're doing our run throughs of the script, and he was the problematic one that was hard to get into just work. 
because he just felt like he could turn up and do. Which you know, I I love I love Bill Murray, but I'm assuming that's who he was talking about. I'm not putting. He never said the name. Well, there's made, an he made, it, he made it very obvious. Lucy Liu and him blow up. Yeah. On that set, and that's why he did not come back for the second one. I guess. Yeah. Was or wasn't invited back. Yeah, I think I one. think it was that because it was Bernie Mac. I think. Well, that was kind of before the Bill Murray. Uh, Renaissance. Renaissance, yeah, yeah. I guess Ru- I mean we say Rushmore. I I feel like Rushmore was the start of it, but that was still quite. Well, when did Charlie Angels come out? Uh, a couple of years after Rushmore, but Rushmore was still not as well known. Like it's like the later films that Rushmore was still kind of an indie, I guess, as far as I understand its place at the time. So, yeah, I think Bill Murray definitely like marches to the beat of his own drum to a fault yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and I feel like maybe he's mellowed late, like. His roles and he he had a bit part in like Zombieland too, which was fucking hilarious. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're going. We this is how quickly it is to like this is how uh, Shay and I do film chats because at the bar and on Bill because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the bar you always be, goes because you'll be Bill talking because you go uncut gems, Adam Sandler movies, Adam Sandler did a golf movie, Caddyshack, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Charlie's Angels. Yeah. He might be an asshole, but we love him anyway. And there, <laughs> there we are. Whereas Chevy Chase is an asshole, and I, yeah, he hasn't done enough good stuff for me to. I do Christmas. Ride va- over Christmas that. Vacation is one of my favorite movies, but yeah. Still haven't seen that all the way through. I think I've seen it all the way through, like in bit in bit parts. But I wish because if Vince was on the podcast, he'd be like, "And that's your asshole move, Shay." Yeah, because <laughs> I'm sure I know. I've seen Vegas Vacation just a bunch of times. Gee, that doesn't make any sense. I've seen that like maybe three times in Christmas, about 20 times. Because I watch it like, you know, I watched it a few times as a kid and now I watch it once every, like Christmas, it's my Christmas movie. So. No, there's better Christmas movies, I think. Name one. Let me think about it. I don't know, it's fucking June right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> couldn't be further away from Christmas. But, uh, yeah, I'll think on that. Okay. I'll text it to you. It'll wake up I'm to sure it we'll do, I'm sure we'll do like a Christmas movie pod every year. So It's definitely not... Um, God, what's that one that everybody loves that has like so many plot lines? It's not like one of those like fucking It's a Wonderful Life or anything like that. Is that a Christmas movie? No, it's newer. It's the rom-com. Oh, fucking Love Actually. Yeah no, yeah, no, it's not that. No. And I'm not going to be one of those dorks that's like Die Hard because it takes place on Christmas, which it is technically a Christmas movie. I understand that. I definitely I definitely ride for Die Hard as a Christmas movie, but... But I'm not going to ride for it super hard. I don't no, know. I'm not going to say it's it. my favorite Christmas movie because I, I, I think of it as action movie first, Christmas movie second. But it's definitely a Christmas movie because it's about... Fan- it is about he's coming back to see his wife and his family. And just gets if Just up. Friends is a Christmas movie, that that's that's a great Christmas movie. Yeah, Just Friends is great. We're talking yeah. uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds one, right? Yeah, where he's yeah. where he's fat, but then gets hot. Yeah, yeah. Amy Smart. Yeah, uh, yeah, just an amazing film. Amy Smart should have had a lot bigger career because every movie I've seen her in, I've liked her in, but she just never took off. She didn't have the it factor i guess yeah but i love her i mean but, like she's just great. just friends road trip rat race butterfly effect yeah rat ra- was she butterfly effect maybe i mean obviously i haven't seen butterfly effect that is it that film will fuck you up but it is good I i've mean, heard like I enjoyed that's it. one of the it's, ones that comes up on reddit that's like plot hole 
It probably but, is. So I saw it. I saw it when I was like 15. So I was like, "Whoa, man!" If a butterfly. Well, there's also his... a subreddit called "I'm 14 and this is deep." So <laughs> I'm sure there's. A, so, uh, I'm sure there's some overlap there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I might be too old for that one now. But yeah, uh, I'll probably watch it now and be like, "That was terrible." But I think she was in that, and then yeah. Um, she was in like crank high voltage. That's uh, right, because Jason Statham bangs her in the street. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I know that. <laughs> I gotta bang you against the letterbox in front of a hundred people because otherwise I'll die. Yeah. Look, if you walk into a prison. She's in Varsity Blues, yeah. Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah, she's with Carmen Lecture, is one of the hot girls. Apparently, she's in the town. I, I don't remember that. No. Yeah. Boston Police Department Sergeant Jessica McLennan. How does her career go down that fast that she's just getting a role that I don't remember in a film that I love? Because I've watched The Town yeah. probably 10 times, including the extended cut a few times. Starship Troopers. Oh, There's yeah, the yeah. yeah on no, this spot. <laughs> and it wasn't even me. I, I don't know how I didn't bring that up because she's the one that races Denise Richards to the fucking... to the to the, the little ship, and then it's like, oh, my God, we got a banners today. She's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, she does not have a great. Oh, she's great in Scrubs, though. I'll give her that. Yeah, Scrubs is just an all time TV show. If we ever do like a sub genre of just like talking a TV show here and there, Scrubs is definitely one. I am very down for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe once movies get put on hold for, uh, for a while after the pandemic. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it's although pretty... I'm happy, happy. Well,. Look, I'm, I don't believe in opening up before we're ready, but strangely, South Australia seems to do, be doing really well. So we, Adelaide had the first cinema in um, Australia to open up today. Um, they're, they're very much, they've said on their social media that it's operating at barely, like they're, they're not making a profit, um, not making money, but they they, they said they've they're, their landlord has been very generous and they've, they're doing it as kind of, as a service to try and get people back in, you know, back into movies, and because um, there's no new movies, they're showing they're showing a lot of ones that were showing that it's an art house cinema. Well, not art, they show big films, but show a lot of little, like that's one of the cinemas that was showing Parasite, and uh, here nice. And it's where I saw the Lighthouse and Sorry to Bother You and Midsummer and and the Lobster and a lot of films that weren't going to show anywhere else is that the cinema showing, and they had the guy like um um I'm blanking in his name now, but. He wrote Shine and um, yeah, and uh, he's an Adelaide-based screenwriter and director, um, Scott Hiff. Yeah. Anyway, he uh, he cut the ribbon on their reopening today. It's a really cool moment to see. Like, strangely, South Australia seems to have somehow bucked the trend, and we haven't. We've had one case in the last month, um, and that was someone that uh, someone that flew back here and they've been isolating since and hasn't infected anyone else. So. Good news on that front. Um, so hopefully we do see the cinema, in, but obviously other nations aren't nearly. Not like, gonna happen here. Yeah. So don't... unfortunately, the cinema industry is going <laughs> to shut down for a while. And while we've got a hundred years of films to look back on, with, uh, maybe TV series will come at some point. Yeah. Definitely plenty. We've definitely to look... got plenty of plenty of movies to go, so we'll be fine. That too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I think we're about tapped out for that one. So um, I was really glad that we did this one this week, though. Like, um, it has just dropped on Netflix in the US. It's been on Netflix in Australia for a few months, but um, it is available, I think, probably worldwide on Netflix at the moment. As was good, yeah, time, was, yep. was good time on Netflix for you as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. good. Good. That's time. how I found out about it. Yeah. So it was right next to Uncut Gems, obviously. Yeah. So good time, and, and it's on Netflix here as well. So. Look, wherever you may be listening from, um, we don't know if it will be, but we can guarantee the US and Australia, at least at the minute of this recording on uh, June 1st slash June 2nd, <laughs> yeah. is a uh, good time. And Sober may rest in hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shay will be ripping beers in the next pod. Um, well, not hard, Maybe. but yeah, we'll be having a few beers. Out of here. respect for I've the been, film, I might, yeah. I might have some pizza though. So there's another hint Yeah, <laughs> what we're going to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, I'm having my pint of Guinness, and I'll raise my raise my pint to Uncut Gems. Are really again we uh we are well, you know we're going we're going to do all sorts of films, but I do we I do really enjoy Brait. Like I've said it so many times in this pod that it's almost becoming a cliche of mine already. But I do enjoy brave filmmaking. Again, this this movie was bold. It was the Safety Brothers doing something they wanted to do, and it was um very much their voice and uh, a really cool film and something that's um. Yeah, it definitely lived up to the expectation I had of the anxiety, but um, well worth watching, and I'm glad I did. And I will rewatch it. Um, I don't know how often I can rewatch it because of the anxiety I <laughs> angle. Yeah, I've seen it three times now. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm good for a bit. <laughs> but I watch horror. I watch horror movies that um, make me jump when my cat jumps off the counter. So, um, you know, I'm, this is more anxiety ridden than those. Yeah, I it's a different. It's a different kind because the anxiety in this film isn't like I'm not. It's more real than a horror movie. Yeah, because no a horror, mo- horror, horror movie just... <laughs> yeah, a horror movie, you know, when I'm watching The Evil Dead, I don't believe that's going to happen. But when my cat jumps off the counter and I'm in the house alone and it's dark, because I, I, I watch my horror movies in the dark, I want to have, I want to be scared. I want to feel scared by the horror movie. So when my cat jumps off the counter, it, it initiates that visceral reaction from you, which is just that, that surface reaction of just being physically scared at the time. Whereas this movie gets you on a deeper level because it's like, this could happen. Like if I was involved in this world, what would it be like? It's the anxiety is like, it is real. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's incredible fun. I, I, that's why I like films that ask different things of you as, as from an emotional and physical standpoint, they're like, whether it be, you know, a film like Magnolia that was really hit you on different emotional levels and, and some surreal levels. And then films like this that hit you on and that anxiety of being, you know, just worrying, just, just, just being so frustrated at someone's decisions that you're like, you know, you're out on the outside screaming kind of thing. But yeah, that's what film, that's what watching films is about is like getting, getting those different kind of insight into lives as well as fucking anxieties and emotions. Which exactly, like films have different roles in our lives. Like, you know, we can dissect the ideas behind a lot of movies. Um, that we've done and in this one it's just about the feeling that it gives you so cinema can do a lot to you and i think that's why we did this podcast to Mm. begin with exactly yeah but i raised my point to uncut gems another great great film that we've done a podcast on so yeah until next time we'll uh pour some pints roll some film pop some corn catch you next week Shay. fucking from stone to stone Amy started smart as a stone. Fuck, you know that. God damn it. I fucked that up. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>